Hi, this is Bron Burton, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Radio Marinara, a weekly radio show exploring all things wet and salty, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Radio Marinara's Facebook page. Good morning, good morning. It is that time. It is three minutes past the hour of nine o'clock. You're on 3RRR. This is Radio Marinara. I'm Anthony Boxall. And I'm Bron Burton. How are you, Bron? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm really well. Good. Although I did something the other day that I think is an age-related mm-hmm. activity. I woke up in the morning with, and I'd done something to my back. Oh, yes. By sleeping. Yes. I think that's pathetic. Yes. Yeah. So so I can't lift this arm. So if you see me oh, move. Oh, no, that's not good. <laughs> trying to press buttons and missing some. You that's, know not what? Good. that's not good at all. It's pathetic, isn't it? Well, that's, that's middle age. I mean, when you're 25 again so many times. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Are we still middle age, Bron? Can we oh, claim that? Oh, for a very long time. <laughs> hey, thank you, Tim, very much oh, for Vital Bits. Uh, thank you, Andrew, very much for Soulful Bits. You can catch Tim next Saturday, 6 o'clock. Wasn't that great? Mm. I love that whole Ella Fitzgerald thing at 8.30. I just, that was wonderful. It's awesome indeed. Should we go through the program? Yeah, it's a big one, isn't it? Yep. We're going to kick off with um, Brett Ditchfield shortly for his second edition or second chapter of Cabin Boy Diaries. Oh, because they're chapters. They come in chapters. Well, I love that. I think they're diaries. So yeah, they it's are. It's a diary, so we should have a chapter. Do you think he's going to come out with a book later? We'll ask him. Yeah. That's yeah. a great idea. Yeah, I reckon there's going to be. It's a bestseller. Yeah. As long as you get a bit of dirt in there. I reckon there's got to be a little. We'll ask him later. So we've, um, yeah, we're up to chapter two. So we've got a few more chapters before we can maybe consider a book. We'll see. <laughs> Or a thesis. You, you, you know, some people release things pretty early. Maybe it could be a thesis and then he could be Dr. Cabin Boy. Yeah, let's do that. that. Work. Dr. Cabin Boy. We're going to give him what What do you need for a good PhD? Probably five or six chapters. Yeah. Okay, what he's done five or let's six. Let's do that. Yeah, we'll give him his PhD. We're then going to cross to Dave Donnelly from Killer Whales Australia and the Dolphin Research Institute. He's on site, on a boat, getting ready to do some research. That's and, pretty cool. And that's all I know. I don't know whether it's whales we or dolphins. We don't know where, though, week. do we? No, I don't. I'm guessing maybe Western Port, but um, we'll find out when we you speak. Know, those are the, you know, those are the words that send fear through the person operating the panel. <laughs> He's on site, on a boat, and we don't know where. <laughs> we had a whole lot of trouble <laughs> contacting a guest a couple of weeks ago who was on the investigator north yeah, of yep. Darwin somewhere. And, uh, yeah, we're going to try and catch up with him. But, yes, it's always a challenge, the joy of live radio. We're going to talk to Dave about uh, whale migration patterns. We're late in the season for that now uh, in terms of going out there and doing some whale watching. Oh, by the way, um, our very own Geraldine Hickey was on Comedy Up late last night on the ABC. And it was one of those joyful moments where I was channel surfing and just suddenly spotted her. She's got this amazing whale watching story. I think we have to get Geraldine in to come and tell that herself. Oh, wow. Yeah, it doesn't actually involve a whale at all. But it's um, it kind of does in the end. Most whale watching stories often don't. (laughs) (laughs) This one does, but not in the way that you might expect in the end. Geraldine's surprise whale. Anyway, it was joyful. Joyful. Oh, fantastic. Anyway, we're going to talk to Dave about um, the whale migration patterns and summary of the season, but also a paper which he is co-author, on which he is co-author, called Migratory Convergence Facilitates Cultural Transmission of Humpback Whale Song. (gasps) So it's actually a super cool paper. um, Whales learning from each other. Yeah. The the song. Like like, like you get the French whale and then the the Australian whale, the one's going, hello? 
hello. The hunger goes, g'day. And there's some New Zealand whales in here as well, I think. So <gasps> researchers cool. from New Caledonia, New Zealand, Australia, I think So that would be the French. The New Caledonian would have like a slight French accent. Yeah, maybe. We should ask New Mia, Box Hill South. <laughs> it's all in there. Box Hill South. Represent Box Hill South. Yeah, it's a great kind of whale migratory path, (laughs) Box Hill South, because there's that little creek on the freeways under it. Oh, Coonung Creek, that's more Doncaster, but there's there's Wattle Park. I think there's maybe a creek that used to run through Wattle Park. Anyway, we'll get some calls in a minute. And then um, to close the show, we've got Jeff Maynard, and this is his penultimate Position of uh, of sound waves meets blow waves. Oh right, yes. yes. Okay, I thought oh, yes. you meant it's been ultimate edition. No, no. So Jeff's been profiling uh, great shows of the largely seventies <laughs> and a little bit eighties. Sound waves meets blow waves, and they intercept with the marine environment. Great shows and mm. hair. Yes. Yeah, and but I don't know exactly which one he's doing. He's been a bit quiet. He's going through a whole bunch of them. Yeah, I know, but he has didn't quite made the cut. Uh, so to have their own segment, so I think he's doing a few little. little he's doing the catch up, yeah. the kind of you know the the two dollar bin at the front. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Hey, do you want to do the weather? Yeah. We have uh, not got a day where it's thirty five degrees coming up in the next seven days, so we can all breathe a little sigh of relief. Um, yeah, but but it's oh wait till you read it. But I can't believe the end of the week. It's ridiculous. Oh right. It's just like Melbourne. You got to love it. I know. Twenty three today. And uh, possible shower, partly cloudy, high chance of showers. Oh, it says possible shower and high chance of showers. That's an interesting one. Most likely in the afternoon and evening, they're hedging their bets. It's just (laughs) statistically confused um, with a bureau. (laughs) The chance of a thunderstorm from late morning. Um, Winds uh, western or westerly 15 to 25 kilometres an hour in the morning, turning south to south westerly in the early afternoon. Tomorrow, 18 showers increasing. Uh, Tuesday, partly cloudy in 19. Wednesday, shower or two, 23. Likewise for Thursday, a little bit lower yeah. in temperature, 19. Oh, oh it's gone up. Friday, 16. Oh, showers. that's what I was remembering. And Saturday, 16 as well. Yeah, because last Friday was 35. God, what's with the weekend weather? Don't we love it? Rain. Some of us want to dry our washing, folks. <laughs> Can I go through some tight times very briefly? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'll just nip out and pop your washing in the dryer. You go, you go through the tide times. I'm so sick of working with clothes horses. Come oh, on, I've got a so am washing I. line out there. I want to use it. I know. We've got these like multi-layer. You have to have like an enormous one, a multi-layered thing because there's so many loads. Anyway. It's big problems being yeah. discussed this morning. Big, big, big issues. <laughs> First world problems. Low tide at 10.42 this morning at Point Lonsdale, heading for a oh. high tide at 4.55 this afternoon. Uh, there you go. I reckon I'll leave it at that. If you want to <laughs> do know. Do they do any surf? Because yeah, I always love. Come on, come on. Yeah, give us I'll, one. I'll do quick this for one. you, man. Yeah, just a quick one. Because <laughs> yeah, it always winds up Dr. Surf too. Always said with the caveat that if you want to check the absolute current conditions, go to swellnet.com because these were submitted to the paper about 24 yeah, hours. Can, can I do the non-diplomatic ago. version of that? Sure. These are crap. Well, <laughs> it's not so much they're crap. But it's they're just, so lovely. It's just that they may not be 100% reliable oh, because sorry, of yes. time issues. I, didn't ma- I meant crap in a really constructive and supportive way. Yes. Um, just not timely. Temporal constraints. Temporally constrained. That's a much better way of saying it. Small swells. Oh, Early light northerly winds are oh. favouring the open beaches ahead of an afternoon I westerly change. Water temperature is 15 degrees. Favouring. Phillip Island, Woolamai has good surf for advanced board riders before lunch. 
Oh. It depends on when you take lunch, really, that one, doesn't it? I mean, it does. It's lunch. I mean, for some people, lunch is at four in the afternoon, oh, yeah, but yeah, anyway. No, it's true. What happens if you kind of like roll out of bed and you're having brunch at midday? Yeah. And then lunch is going to be late For those dinner. who've had a big night, lunch yeah, might yeah. be at six tonight. I think that is really not very aware of the diversity of our audience. <laughs> <laughs> Morning to Peninsula. Morning to Peninsula. Fun surf. There you go, Anthony. You were looking for that. Fun. That was it. At Portsea. That's subjective too. And going matter. <laughs> early morning and surf coast. Try 13th Beach or Fairhaven for a small clean wave. There's the scientist. <laughs> That's subjective. I cannot have these subjective. It's outrageous. Can I, uh, can I do a giveaway? Yeah, go for it. This is actually held a, a holdover giveaway. Um, and so thanks to Tim for, for letting us do a giveaway on our show. <laughs> Tim gets hundreds of giveaways. Um, and and um, so anyway, the Melbourne Act Love Outside Andromeda um, reform, reform for a very special one-off show as part of Melbourne Music Week. Their first show in 13 years. They're going to play, perform um, songs from right across their entire um, back catalogue. If you are a Love Outside Andromeda and you are like lover of Love Outside Andromeda and you are a Triple R subscriber, then uh, you will need to ring in now on 93881027. 93881027. And it's a double pass for Saturday the 16th at the Toffin Town. Okay? So get on the phone if you want to do that Love Outside Andromeda. Now, what were you going to do? I've got a few little bits and pieces to mention, but maybe I'll save that till after we catch up with Brett. Yeah, sure. And it is time to welcome our cabin boy in, Brett Ditchfield. Oh, that, that is a big welcome from below, you know, <laughs> shouting out from below decks. Hello. We're letting you out. We'll let you up. Yes, good morning. Um, How are the below decks? Well, nice and tidy, ship shape. Yep, so it's all good there. But uh, I've had a friend ask me about sailing for another friend. So I thought we'd talk about different <laughs> boats and how to get into sailing this week. Yeah, yeah that's cool. absolutely. So this friend... So it's not a euphemism. It's not my friend wanted to know about, you know... Well, no. I want to distance myself from the <laughs> okay. other friend from the silly questions. But a, a big thank you to Robin for uh, throwing these questions to <laughs> Excellent. me. So, um, and this is from the perspective of someone who's never had any kind of exposure to sailing before, but you kind of look at people out there thinking, that looks like fun. Maybe I could try that, but where do I start? Well, imagine sitting somewhere on a deck with a glass of wine, romanticising as they see all these boats mm. go by. So, uh, so this friend of a friend kept throwing, what about this boat? What about that boat? Complete, the only similarity between any of the boats were they floated on the water. They were completely different. So uh, so at least they were all boats. They were all yeah, boats, yeah. so we didn't get that wrong, So, which was a good sign. Yeah. So, uh, so I thought I'd break it down basically. Oh, this is handy because I need this. Well, it's basically, so I don't want any old sea salt say, out, sitting out there saying, oh, you know, that's a catch, that's not a yawl. Oh, so, we just um, won't answer that phone. Don't answer at all. So I'm going to break it down into two. We've got ballasted. And yeah. unballasted boats. Gotcha. So with ballasted boats, we're looking at yachts and keel boats, the big boats that sit in the marina that never really come out of the water. So, uh, And the way they work is they've got a keel with a big chunk of metal on the bottom, and that keel is the writing force. So as the uh, wind hits the sail, that keel writes the boat and keeps it upright. So a big probably... chunk of metal? Well, normally lead... Or cast iron. And yeah, I th- right. I think back in the 60s on some of the race boats, they had um, spent uranium on some of the boats. <laughs> not, because really? it's so dense and uh, I don't think they lasted long, those uh, sailors. So, yeah, I don't think any are alive today. 
Right. I'd probably also put trailer sailors in. Even though they come out of the water, they've yeah. got what's called a uh, centreboard, and that's weighted. So mm. that's huh. also their riding force. So we're going on the riding force. So yeah. that's ballasted boats. What qualifies as a trailer sailor? Is it just that a, a, a trailer? Boat, it's a boat that you can. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. But it's a boat that you can tow behind we, a car. Yeah, basically. Okay. Or a tra- right. So well, with a trailer sailor. Yeah, but is it size restricted? Well, only because what's allowed on the road from Vic Roads. Oh, okay. okay. That's, so the width and the length, that's what determines, you know, the size yeah, right, of a trailer right, sailor. Right. Okay, so not such a dumb question. No, 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 very good question. Yes. And much in keeping with us asking very obvious and quick that we just don't know the answer to. Well, that's what I'm here for, dumb questions. Oi! <laughs> 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 yeah, you, you recovered that so well and then you just lost it again. But anyway, unballasted. Unballasted. So that's yeah. all your little dinghies that you see on the beach. So you mm. can pull it up on the beach, put it on a trailer. That's why I'm differing with the uh, trailer sailor because yeah. that's got a it's the writing force so with a, a dinghy the ballast is actually the person on the boat mm. oh so uh that's the writing force oh so as you start leaning over you move further and further outboard of uh, the boat so I've that's what do that you see them hanging yeah, yeah, over yeah, yeah. and then and there's, so there's no keel on them They've got a centreboard, right. but that's just mainly timber, so no weight yeah, right. at all in there because you want them light so you can lift yeah, them yeah. onto the trailer and all that. So just to clarify, the difference between a keel mm-hmm. and a centreboard oh, good yep. question. is is it weighted or is mm. it that it can be removed? It can be retracted back right. into the boat. That's a centreboard. That's a centreboard. Yep. So, oh. yeah. so the keel is stuck on. Stuck on. So when you right. hit the ground, boom, you've hit the ground. Yep. Yeah, yep. you can't you know retract it. There's two types of centreboards too. There's a daggerboard which slots straight mm-hmm. down yep. and a centreboard board just kicks up so it's pivoted like folds up folds up into the hole so yeah what do you like do you have to lean underneath and click it no no just pull it up with a rope or or anything like that so yeah or or wind it up on a winch so the dagger boards tend to be the high performance yachts uh dinghies and that whereas the center board is the easy one so if you hit something it'll kick up and not too much problems that way unless you're sitting on it unless you're sitting on it and you're very very shallow yes yeah which happened to someone i knew years (gasps) ago and she ended up Breaking a coccyx bone. No. Because mm, she was sitting on centreboard and it hit a rock. Yeah, Ooh. yeah. Breaking oh. coccyx, not good. No. 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 Oh, so you're moving further outboard to okay. ride a dinghy. where, yep. And you may see some, especially the high-performance boat, out on a trapeze. It's a yes. wire from the top of the mast onto your harness. Yep. And then you've got your feet on the edge of the boat and you're way, way out off the boat. As far as you are. Far like as you're you right out. are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. A bit so like abseiling. A bit like that. So that gives you more riding force too. So, yeah. So it's What happens, I've got to ask, since I'm asking, mm-hmm. what happens in those circumstances when you're at way out there mm-hmm. and, as can happen, the wind suddenly changes? And you and and like that way out there is exactly the wrong place to be. Yes. Well, it's normally it's not going to change that quick. Oh, hopefully, right. okay. and it comes down to reflexes. And you go <laughs> and run over. Well, the other there's side. been some okay. yeah, some pretty bad wipeouts. So yeah. Yeah, just Google. Yeah, there's plenty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm also going to put in the unballasted multi holes. So yeah, your trimarans and yep. your catamarans. So because again, there's no weight on them. It's the hulls. Far apart, that's more the writing movement there. And again, you're using your body weight to keep them on the water. So, yeah. Now, there's a bit of division between multi-holes and dinghies, you know. Oh, is it? And I always put it down 
Some people are cat people. Some people are dog people. Oh, it's like that. Some people are cat people. Some people are dinghy people. Right. So keep that in mind. As so cat is in catamaran. Catamaran. Really? Yeah. Is that yeah. a bit like a you know you, someone they you know one's Collingwood, one's Carlton? It's like you know Kinda they don't like talk. That. Well, no, no, they t- they talk. Yeah, oh. you know, it's like get out of the way, yeah. Catamaran people, yeah, yeah. So yeah. Good. So do the catamaran people call dinghy people dog people? <laughs> no, probably not. No, I, I'm not quite sure about. That. Are we pushing that analogy They'd, too far? Uh, they yeah, might I take that. As, they might take that as a compliment. Yes, yeah. So and so, can I just check? Is this? Is there a sailing? You know, no, I, you may have a bias yourself here, and it may show. Hopefully, this it's point. not showing. No, 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 no. But is there an actual kind of sailing-based technical reason why one would look down on the other, or is it just because we humans love to think that we're all part of something and not part of the other thing? Probably that, and it's also it's not purity. You know, the dinghy, the you oh, know, the tipping one over, is pure. so oh, pure. Right. But then again, if you look back on ancient culture, all the, uh, you know, yeah, totally. the Polynesians and all that had yeah. catamarans far before the first dinghy, yeah. probably. <laughs> Absolutely. So probably that purity, ang- you know, argument well, goes out the Well, the Vikings window. didn't only have one hull. They did, but I think the Polynesians may have come first. That's true. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> so we're splitting hairs again. Yeah, yeah we shouldn't do that. No. <laughs> now, if you wanted to get into sailing... I think the best way is through a dinghy because the best way to learn to sail is to get wet and the best way to get wet is on a dinghy. So, yeah, (laughs) like, and also the cheapest. So so if you're looking at boats, you see the big boats and you think, yeah, that's romantic, but it costs a fortune and you've got to really commit to it. So if you want to get onto a keel boat and that, I suggest you go down to your, you know, the nearest yacht club and just sign up. They'd be happy to have you on mainly as weight. Because, uh, yeah, and you may serve drinks, but you'll learn a bit over the years. So you can so, yeah. go on as the cabin boy. Well, basically, yeah, yeah. yes. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. But if you really wanted to get into sailing, I suggest you get yourself a dinghy because it's so much fun. And, and how um, big would that be? Well, you've got to work out where you're going to sail, uh-huh. what you want to do with it, like, and how much you're going to sail. You know, okay. it's no use getting a one-person sailboat. And then inviting the whole family along. It's just not going to work. And, you know, the other flip side to that, it's no use getting a, you know, a boat that needs 10 crew and no one wants to come with you. Mm. Yeah. So um, start small. Start small, yeah. And so most of these sailing, most of the sailing clubs that I'm aware of have got programs for kids a bit like, you know, nippers or, you know, any sort of, you know, fishing clubs. They've got something specifically targeted at kids. Do most of the yacht clubs also have programs for adults who want to get into it but have sort of never had that exposure before? They do. I did do a little Google and I was going to talk about it, but there's there's so many. So okay. um, Best to just, just do the research yourself. Do the yourself. research yourself. There's also, what would um, you look for if you were going, like because you just said I just Googled, what would someone who wasn't sure what the words were, what would they look for? Um, like learn to sail? But yeah, learn to sail. Yeah, yeah that'll okay. come up. Yeah, or learn yeah. to sail. Yeah. There's quite a few private companies too that um, mm-hmm. will take you on and learn to sail from dinghies to quite overnighter on on big keel boats and yeah, that. Okay. So Google that again. I can't recommend any, so I'm not going to mention them. So I guess the thing with the big keel boats, you could go out and have that experience, but then you come back, and how does that then translate to you having your own small yeah. keel boat? Well, that's why it's best to learn on a dinghy on a because one. you know you've got that instant reaction, and you are going to capsize. You know, yep. don't be scared of that. <clears throat> it's going to happen. In fact, go out and capsize so you yeah. know what to do. Yep. 
and then learn. But it's, you know... It's a bit like diving training. It's part of the diving training is knowing what to do if you lose your reg or exactly. if your mask comes off or something like yeah. that. So you have to go through those experiences. And, and, and it's not scary. You know, everyone starts panicking too when the boat starts healing and it's the natural... When uh, it starts doing what? Healing. It starts okay. leaning over. Okay. Yeah, you know, oh, it's, it's going to tip. Yeah. It's like, no, it's not. Especially on a keel boat. It's like, no, yeah, it's yeah. not. That's what it does. It's mm. meant to do yeah, that. Right. So, yeah. The other big thing if you're into, um, if you want to know about, like keel boats, yep, is to uh, be about charter. You can do that up oh, in Gippsland, yes. Gippsland's Lakes or yep. um, head up to the Whit Sundays too. Yes. And uh, you don't need a license, they'll give you a quick uh, pointer. Yep. And uh, yeah, it you is pay depressingly your easy to do that. I did that with some friends years yeah. ago, none of whom of us had really sailed a lot. But the conditions up there were so calm yeah, at the time the that it was. And you learn fast. Remarkable. Yeah, absolutely. Especially yeah. when you realise it's going to cost you money. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, get out on the water, get yourself a dinghy. The best way, yeah, to learn to sail is in a dinghy and uh, you learn so much. It's the basics, so, yeah. Awesome. Where do we go from here? What's, what are you going to do next time? Well, it's Christmas. I was going to kind of go through the aerodynamic and kind of Ooh. science of sailing. I thought it's Christmas. It's too heavy for that. Oh, really? So oh, we're going to... Okay. I we'll, thought that was we'll fun. Save that. <laughs> we'll save that for the new year. For Christmas, I'm going to go through a few... Uh, there's heaps of sailing blocks. Like what to eat and drink on your boat for Christmas. Well, it's cheese no. and... Uh, <laughs> yeah. Cheese and wine. Cheese and wine. But um, there's heaps of sailing blogs or vlogs. I'm yeah, not sure yeah. the correct term. So I'm going to give you quite a few that I like and don't like that you can watch over your Christmas break. Okay. Nice. Um, that's true. I think we should give him a PhD when he's done a few Well, book's coming out soon. Yes. Yeah, okay. Stay tuned. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, thanks very much, Brett. A pleasure. And Brett is still here, and we had a phone call. Yeah, um, Scott Watson from the uh, McRae Yacht Club just rang in to say um, they've got four weeks of free uh, sailing lessons for seven to ten-year-olds from during November, December, February, and March. Brilliant. They also offer uh, courses for uh, teenagers and adults too. So it, uh, yeah. Log on to McRae Yacht Club and uh, you can get all the details there. And also log on to the Australian Sailing website because they've got Sailing Day. Uh, I think it's Discover Sailing. So uh, they've got a day that all the yacht clubs throw open their doors and uh, you can pop down and uh, yeah, learn how to sail, ask any of your dumb questions that weren't asked <laughs> today and um, yeah, get a lot of information and yeah, introduce the family to sailing. Great. And head out on a boat. A lot of them take you out there as well. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, uh, well, it's just to familiarise yourself with sailing and boats too because often people can be a little bit scared of it. So, uh, And also intimidated by a yacht club. You know, you think, oh, yes, I, I won't go in there. They don't want to know. It won't talk to me. But just pop along to any yacht club. You know, it is intimidating. But you, once you get in there... It's yeah. They're, they're not all, all full friendly. of. They're not all full of Thurston Howler thirds. There are some, but uh, <laughs> part of life's rich. But you'll get the working class kind of yacht club, and they'll, uh, they'll get you down there. Good yeah. to hear. Awesome. Thanks, Brett. Without further ado, we're now going to cross to Dave Donnelly, who is live on location. Dave from Killer Whales Australia and Dolphin Research Institute. Good morning, Dave. Good morning, Brian. Good morning, Ant. How are we? And Brett, how are we today? <laughs> Brilliant. Probably we're not all... as good as you. You're somewhere wonderful. Yeah, we said you're live on location and we were trying to um, uh, speculate where. Whereabouts are you? We're currently, we're right off Mount Martha and we uh, topically have a yacht passing us right now with about <laughs> 20 or 30 common dolphins uh, in our presence. You might be able to hear them in the background breathing. Uh, oh, yes. It's been a beautiful morning. No wind. Fantastic. Absolutely wonderful. What are you doing out there today? Are you doing some research? Yes, today we're uh, making up for lost time. We're back out in the water after a long time off the water and what we're doing is um, trying to document these common dolphins which um, have inhabited Port Phillip. It's the only uh, 
location worldwide where we know that oceanic common dolphins have populated a, uh, an embayment. So um, they've been known since about 2006, and we're just continuing some long-term um, photo ID studies right now. That's pretty cool. Why is that the case, that this is the only embayment in the world that has, has these dolphins in there? Is it a good it sign for the bay? I thought it was because Port Phillip Bay is the best in the world. So I, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, Veronica. Look, the, that's what um, you're doing, I suppose, is working that out. Well, partially, um, we're, we're more inclined to keep a record of the animals that are here and how long they're spending here, carving rates and, and transients and so forth. The ecology of the situation is a, of a whole other question, which, um, you know, that would be a nice one to answer. But uh, certainly um, the area around here between sort of Oliver's Hill, Frankston, through to Mount Martha is a very productive area, particularly around the mussel farms. And um, it makes sense that these dolphins have set up shop here. Fantastic. I want to ask you about Western Port. It's really important that we um, give Western Port... It's due recognition and attention as well. Do we have uh, bottlenose dolphins, common dolphins in Western Port? Um, sorry, can you repeat the question, please, Bron? I'm oh, just wondering about Western Port. Um, do, you, do we often find dolphins in Western Port as well? No, nowhere near as often as Port Phillip. There are dolphins that pop up in, in Western Port and there are a few that are regulars to certain areas like San Remo and around Balnaring in summers. But other than that, it's largely um, comings and goings of pods, some of which are known from Port Phillip. So a little bit of crossover there. So, Dave, do, do, do we have a theory why? You know, why Port Phillip is kind of a place to be if you're a dolphin, but Western Port's not? Well, one thing that comes to mind is the competition for a food source, and obviously we all know that Steel Rocks uh, is home to uh, several thousand uh, large predators, and I uh, wonder if that has something to do with it. Um, yeah. It could also be that the ecology of the bay is such that it doesn't support um, you know, larger populations of these um, uh, bottlenose and common dolphins, which Paul Phillip does. Yeah, that's cool. All right, we wanted to talk about whales. We've been talking with you a lot over the last couple of months about uh, whale migration patterns up and down the east coast of Australia in particular. Um, and I mentioned at the start of the program that we're heading kind of late into the season now, aren't we? Where are we at with whale migration? Yeah, we are. We're coming to the um, sort of towards the later stages of the southerly migration for humpback whales. They are present around the Wilson's Promontory area, but they tend not to pass by close uh, through the two bays region like they have previously on the northern migration. Having said that, uh, we have had some southern right whales show their faces in the last uh, couple of weeks. Mm. In fact, we had three in the same day at two separate sightings, one at Phillip Island, the other sighting uh, just off Bush Rangers Bay near Cape Shank. So we are being, we're very fortunate this year. We've had so many southern right whales hanging around, at least southern right whale sightings. Whether they're the same animals or not, still yet to be determined. Um, my folks have just come back from a stint in Bermagui, um on the New South Wales south coast and they said they've been seeing them every single day, they've sort of wow. been coming into the, the local Horseshoe Bay there, um, uh, mothers and calves in particular, but they're, they're still coming through almost every day. Is that kind of typical for this time of the year? It is. Look, um, through the southern you know, migration, um, the southern parts of New South Wales, you'll see whales in quite good numbers right through through the end of November and sometimes even into December. Um, so we still have um, a season to have here in Victoria, but it will be largely based around Wilson's Promontory. And, and again, that's the, the, the group from Wildlife Coast Cruises offering those cruises down to the prom and to see the whales as well. So it's uh, quite a magnificent way to do it. Now, you've just um, prepared a summary of the current season, even though we're kind of still heading towards the tail end of it. Anything um, of note, Anything? any kind of key observations that you'd like to share with us? 
Um, much of what we've discovered so far, we are just in the early stages of um, analysing everything, but uh, we've ended up with about 273 uh, reported and validated sightings. That includes a few reef sites there. Um, we, well, what's most impressive is our citizen science efforts. Um, since the introduction of Podwatch, which is our app that we've, worked, we've talked about before on the radio, um, we've had 81 new citizen scientists contribute sightings. Some of those have contributed multiple sightings. Um, so we really are growing in that aspect of um, engaging the communities and getting people more aware of whales as they're passing by. And of course, the result of that is we build a much better, uh, much more reliable data set because people are now becoming very interested. They've got a tool to report their sightings and they seem to really enjoy it. It's fantastic. Just remind people, Dave, what the name of the, the, um, the app is. The name, it's actually a website. Oh, the website, um, sorry. App. Uh, it's called Podwatch, and it can Pod be found Watch. through the Dolphin Research Institute's website. If you just go into uh, report a sighting, it'll uh, give you an opportunity to, to log it with Podwatch, and you just save that to your home screen, uh, just like any other sort of uh, link. And it operates exactly like an app, except you don't have to worry about updates, you don't have to pay any money, it doesn't <laughs> yes. take up any of your phone data. And when you switch phones, you don't have to load up something new again. It's fantastic. It, really, it works really, really well, and we're very proud of it. Now, before we let you go, we really wanted to talk about this paper, um, which is brand new it's been published by royal society open science or royal society publishing uh the title of for people who've just tuned in recently we mentioned at the start of the program is migratory convergence facilitates cultural transmission of humpback whale song and you're one of several authors for this paper that has taken into account uh whale migration um and song recordings from a quite a large stretch of oceans from the the, the uh, eastern coastline of australia all the way through to French Polynesia. Uh, it's an amazing paper. I've read through it. Can you kind of talk us through it a little bit as, as one of its co-authors? Oh, well, of course, but first of all, I'm going to acknowledge my co-authors, of course, but really the lead, lead author, Claire, has just done an amazing job with a, a large data set of painful data collected by many, many different people. So this, as, as with any good work, it's, uh, it's a combination of a lot of people contributing a little bits of information. So we were fortunate enough to record um, several good versions of the uh, various songs from the Kingdom of Tonga in the South Pacific, and we were able to contribute that to that um, uh, a study which Claire under took through the uh, Auckland University. Um, humpback song is incredible. I mean, it's, we're one of the few animals that actually compose and recompose and do cover versions, if you like, <laughs> of uh, songs and share those songs between <clears throat> populations. And it is quite fascinating. Not being an acoustician, um, I'm not 100% over everything, but I do know that the humpback song is is unique in the, on the planet, really, in my, my belief. So, Dave, um, it's just incredible. One of the things that, that uh, kind of almost glibly, were one, I was wondering, but but now that you talk about it, maybe it actually is real. Do, do they have um, regionally different accents? You know, when you said cover versions, do they also transfer the way that they, you know, kind of like would in a region sing a particular song? Yeah, that's correct, and. It's, uh, less like when we talk about accents between um, killer whales and so forth. It's a little different in that the songs are composed typically from the west and transpire, or trans, um, transfer across to the east. Huh. So, for example, in 2019, there'll be a song sung in the west coast of Australia, and we expect to see that song appear on the east coast of Australia in 2020. <laughs> oh, that is sensational. Um, so, so when we talk about the convergence enables the transfer of song, what we're saying there is that at some point, humpback whales that are singing songs, bear in mind that it's only the males that sing them, are coming into contact with each other, 
and enabling that opportunity for the transfer of that song to the East Coast or the Eastern region. Um, so they're kind of teaching songs or uh, whales are learning songs. Sometimes there'll be uh, an, a, an adaptation, adaptation to a song, so it might be almost entirely a West Coast song, but with an East Coast flavour. Uh, <laughs> awesome. It sounds a little bit like hip-hop. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Love it. It's absolutely amazing. Um, Sorry. It is. It's incredible. And the area that we identified or that Claire identified as being the, the key place for convergence of these animals is the Kermadex Island in the huh. middle of nowhere north of New Zealand. So that's like the pub where everyone goes and kind of, you know, hangs out and goes, hey, try this one out. Yeah, try this one. Exactly. We all come away from a gig humming a favourite song on our way home. Uh, we may not sing it as well as the performer, but we certainly are sharing that song with our friends as well. A really good example is the artist Rodriguez. He never had a real good uh, record release. It was only through uh, cassette tapes being shared yeah. in South Africa that he became what he is today. Um, at very similar. We, we share those things that interest us. We share the sounds with each other, and we hope that our friends will like them. And, and I, I kind of liken that to Humpback Whale transfer of songs. I love it. That's amazing. Dave, when we get you back in the studio, it might even be next year, but I really want to explore this more and just mm. sort of get right into Humpback Whale song and really dissect it because I think we're all aware of what they sound like at a very crude, sort of crass, gross level, but just actually breaking some of that down. I'm having Having, flipping through the paper at the moment, looking at various themes of songs as well. There's so much yep. where we can kind of really delve into this and learn a lot more from it. So um, really keen to do that probably next year if you're up for that. Uh, absolutely. If it's not beyond my knowledge, I will certainly help you out. If not, I'll pass you on to my esteemed colleagues. We might even see if we can get Claire on the phone at the same time that you're in. So that's, that's my uh, plan for next year. I'm sure she'd love to do that. I'll, uh, well, we can tee that up. Not a problem at all, Bron. Brilliant. Dave, we leave it yeah, then. we've got to get going, but um, thanks so much for joining us. I think we might be Brilliant. catching up with you one more time before the end of the year, so uh, enjoy your day out on the water with your 30, was it, 30 um, <laughs> dolphins? dolphins? Yeah, beautiful. <laughs> All right. It's beautiful out here. Thank you very much, guys. I look forward to chatting to you next time. Yeah, likewise. Thanks, Dave. See you, Dave. Cheers, bye-bye. Bye for now. Dave Donnelly wow. there from uh, Killer Whales Australia and Dolphin Research Institute. Oh, it's brilliant, isn't it? Brilliant stuff. I can't wait to hear that deconstruction of the of the, the, the whale song mm. and how the hell they pass it on. Indeed, you are on 3 It is 11 minutes to the hour, 11 minutes to the doctors, and we welcome in Jeff Maynard. Good morning, guys. Hi, Jeff. Good. I'm well, I'm well. A little sad. It's getting to the end of the year, and as everyone knows, this year we've been doing TV shows from the 70s. This is the uh, last but one TV shows from the 70s. And what I'm going to do is, um, well, throughout the year, we've had some great shows. We've had Charlie's Angels in bikinis, and we've had uh, <laughs> MacGyver getting blowing up things underwater to escape, and we had Wonder Woman in, you know, stretchy uh, lycra um, wetsuits and things. Um, but uh, there was a lot of shows that didn't quite make it. They just weren't... They, usually they didn't have enough uh, scuba in them. You know, the, <laughs> or, or they had something underwatery in them to justify Radio Marinara, but there wasn't enough good sound grabs. It's like an episode of Columbo where someone shoves their wife over a boat or something and Columbo's got to figure out, you know, that, that, that they murdered the, the, the wife or something and he sends a scuba diver down to do something. But there's just not enough not sort enough. of sound. It wasn't core to it. It wasn't right. core. That's yeah, exactly... Yeah. 
exactly right. Yeah, and yeah. There's, uh, Chips was the motorcycle one where a couple of guys spent oh. all their time riding around highways in California on motorbikes. Yeah. And it was tough to get them in the water. But, you know, they'd park their motorbikes and they'd see a boat and say, oh, they must be smuggling drugs or something. So they'd go and hook up with a couple of sexy marine biologists and go out and chase the guys in the boat. But just not enough call. So anyway, these are the guys that um, just kind of missed it. Now, I'll, I'm not going to tell you what they are because you're going to listen and halfway through each little sound grab, you've got to try and guess what show it is. Ooh, and okay. at the end, the last 10 seconds, and they've all, they've all got really great sort of iconic themes. I've stuck 10 seconds of theme music at the end and you should guess it by the end. Now, the first one we pick up where the baddies were stealing diamonds mm-hmm. and one baddie betrays the other baddie, sinks the boat. And with all the diamonds on it, he's going to go back and scuba dive down and get the diamonds back from the other baddies who have now caught him and torturing. But the uh, the goodies have to come along and sort the whole thing out. Okay. A late word just in from the sheriff's office regarding this morning's unexplained ocean disaster. Aerial and ocean survey teams, as yet, have found no survivors and no bodies from the mysterious explosion which ripped apart the pleasure boat Leonora at 8.05 this morning. Good morning, Mr. Phelps. Your mission, if you decide to accept it, is to recover those diamonds, seize the $75 million in cash, and put Berlinger out of business for good. This tape will self-destruct in five seconds. Yeah, so, so, so the Mission Impossible team had to go in and... They did all those things where they changed their rubber masks and all that, and they've got to dress up as scuba divers and go down and get the diamonds and trick someone else into thinking that that was another scuba diver. It was all very confused. But it's one of the actually few shows from the the 70s that... um, uh, or 60s and 70s, that one, that, that, that actually you can still watch today and you're not sort of going, oh, God, you know, this is dreadful. Um, all right, the next one, the next one that just missed the cut. Uh, the baddies in this case, they've got a mini submarine ah. and, and it's full of drugs. And, and, as you do, and, yeah, yeah, as you do. They've, they've sort of they've they've been spotted smuggling their drugs. They've thrown the drugs overboard, and the police are watching. So they they steal a mini submarine and they go back and they grab all the drugs and load them in the submarine, and they're trying to escape in their mini submarine when the goodies come along in a boat, and the goodies are trying to get them to surface. So they start dropping little explosive charges to get the baddies <laughs> to surface. <laughs> The death charges, they're trying to kill us. Take her off. I refuse to die like this. I'm not going to tell you again. Now get this thing up. Never owned a 45. Well, when we get a ballistics match, both of you are going to be looking at murder one. Book them down. Now you I think in Hawaii I was that. That they'd have a heaps of, you know, yes. good every second episode, someone would be diving or surfing or doing something waterish. Uh, but no, old Jack Lord spent most of the time in that really cool suit and, and with his hair all slicked and, and just didn't have any love interest, didn't it? Just went along and booked him for murder one and <laughs> Dano did it in a way they carted them off. So yeah, yeah. Hawaii 5 0, close but no cigar. It's amazing. It's, and for yeah. a show that's got arguably the best TV theme of all time. It has. It there's, has. There's nothing more that could be sort of mined from. And that. the other bit of trivia that, thank goodness, Google told me was it was the longest running uh, cop show 
uh, longest-running cop show in American television. Right. It just ran for like 15 years. Oh. Okay, the, the, the next one, the next one I was going to do on Radio Marinara as a full sort of segment, but it was just so bad I couldn't bring myself to do it. Okay. It was so, so sugary sweet that it was like <laughs> di- diabetics couldn't watch this show, you know. It was that bad. And it, it kicks off, someone's fallen off a surfboard and they've, they've been riding a little bit of swell and they've fallen off in about a half a metre of water. Are we? Yes. yes, good. Okay, no, that's on our hand. Good. Yeah, I'm signalling. Honey, you heard anywhere? No. Well, that was some wipeout. Yeah, I know I was there. <laughs> you must have hit your head with the surfboard. Mike, you think he's all right? I think he'd be on the safe side. We better have the hotel doctor take a look at him. I'm sure glad Greg didn't get hurt. It would have ruined our picnic tomorrow. <laughs> And over about three episodes, the Brady Bunch went to Hawaii. Yes. And I was actually going to do it as sort of cultural appropriation and what was all wrong about, you know, but it it probably would have been offensive to even talk about it. I think there's there's a a mashup begging to be had for Brady Bunch meets Hawaii Five-0. Wouldn't that be good? With that particular episode. Oh, could episode. we kill Marsha? <laughs> <laughs> but, and so, then what Greg would get yeah, booked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Book yeah. him, Dano. Or, or, or the dad gets, you know, done for murder one and book him, Dano. Yeah, that that would be a great mashup, actually. Yeah. yeah. Well, we can pass it on to nobody. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's someone out there who can sort of find it all on YouTube and mash it up. And yeah, that's probably re- already there. Regurgitate yeah, it. Yeah, let's know when you do, whoever you are. Um, and the final one, the final one, and this was, I have to admit, this was a real disappointment for me because if I could have got this one into a segment, you know, and I searched hard. I, I did my own really? work. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I spent a lot of time <laughs> on, you know, surfing YouTube trying to find any, some... Any a, reason. A, any, any, any reason <laughs> to get them in a wetsuit and all that kind of thing. Anyway, it's on a submarine again. We're starting on the submarine. Uh, the baddies have... Um, uh, captured the goodies, and and they're all on all on the submarine, it's which kind is of just a, a theme, little, really. Isn't yeah, it, it yeah. is. It is. If, well, submarines you can kind of shoot on a set. You know, you just you just paint the background <laughs> yeah. of, of the TV studio grey. And you have a thing going pong. You have a thing bong. going pong, and then you lower a periscope <laughs> yeah. in the middle of the studio, and, and they just sort of put their up to the periscope. And that's exactly what's happening here. The baddie's looking through the periscope, and he sees all these navy ships are coming at him. And they're going to be blown up with the goodies on board. Six destroyer headed right for our position. You better surrender, Siegfried. Never. You mind if we do? Forget <laughs> it, smart. We are going to hide on the bottom. Well, engines ready? Prepare to dive. Down telescope. Dive. <laughs> There is an episode where um, um, a Siegfried has an underwater base or something and um, 99 and, and Maxwell Smart have to 
put on their scuba gear and swim down. But you don't see anything. I mean, they jump out of their car and the next minute they're sort of walking onto the studio set, oh. which is the underwater base, dripping wet in their wetsuits, and they just stand there talking to Siegfried, who, who has to be the klutziest, most lovable baddie on television. <laughs> um, so they're the shows that didn't make it. They're the poor th- shows that, that were, you know, close, but um, oh, they did, were didn't, didn't quite get a good gig on, uh, on, on Soundwaves meets Blowwaves. Does this mean you've saved the best till last? Well, I, look, it's obvious. I, I, I think Is it? It's, it's not really a spoiler alert, but I, th- I think to round off the season, we do have to jump the shark. Oh. oh, I mean, what else That's can we do? Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. Awesome. I mean, we've got to jump the shark. Oh. So we will. I come this, back. When's this? This is going to be our very final show for 2019. So 15th of December, we'll be jumping the shark. I hope so. <laughs> only for that episode. Do you know there's an entire cohort of people out there who got that immediately, and then yeah, there's a sad, bunch of people it? who know the saying, but, but they have they don't, don't know, know where it, comes where it came from. from. Well, we'll, we'll and we like them. Can I just say, (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. That was fabulous. Thank you, Brett. Thank you. And thanks very much to Dave Donnelly as well. Oh, what fantastic. I I don't know where to go with that. Oh, thank you, Kent. We can thank Kent too. He's going to be in shortly with uh, Radiotherapy to take you through to 11 o'clock. What have we got? We've got like a crazy busy month, haven't we? It is. There's all sorts of stuff going on. Uh, Next week's show, we've got FOM coming in to talk about plastic literacy. Uh, Kerry from Sea Shepherd talking about Gig for Good, which is a whole bunch of gigs that are taking taking place aboard the uh, the Steve Irwin down in Williamstown. And uh, we're going to try and cross to Damien Callaghan from Deakin University aboard the CSIRO investigator somewhere north of the coast of Australia. We're not sure where as well. Yep. We hope. Yep. And lastly, big shout out to the kid who knocked on my door for Halloween dressed as a biodegrad- a non-biodegradable plastic bag. She said that was the scariest thing that she knew. I love it. Hi, this is Bron Burton. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Radio Marinara, a weekly radio show exploring all things wet and salty, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Radio Marinara's Facebook page.